How's it going? I'm doing real fine. How about yourself? Excellent, excellent. Good, good, good. I'm glad we connected. We had to evaluate APSE writing contest winners, and I saw that you wrote about the David Ortiz shooting last year, and that was an incredible night. It was an emotional story for me, and I've read through it a couple times. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. It's a powerful story. I mean, he's, it's, it kind of writes itself. It's just crazy, right? I mean, crazy story. For you to walk me through how, how you went about it, and I, w I also wanted to start off with what was the biggest difference between writing in a newsroom or, like, if you have an office space at your home uh, now with COVID? Right. So I am I am working at home now for sure. And I, I actually work at home a lot, even before COVID, you know, because as a sports writer, the, the sports writers are the only people who are like never in the office. They're always on the road. You know, I, I covered the Red Sox as a beat writer for like five years. Uh, actually, when David first came to the Red Sox back in what, 2002, I think I was covering the team as a beat writer. So you're on the road constantly. I mean, it was six months a year. And so you're almost never in the office. So even that, I, I go in the office maybe one day a week, two days a week at the most. But I have, you know, I've spent a lot of time working in newsrooms too. So it's, you know, you get used to it. Did you have to travel far to cover this story? I did, yeah. So um, I went to the Dominican Republic. Actually, I've been there a few years ago for uh, investigating a, uh, a Red Sox scout who had taken um, like bribes. Um, and it, but it was nothing like this. This was like serious serious stuff. I mean, because there was a, all this talk about syn drug syndicates, crime syndicates that, you know, he was somehow, he was like wrapped up in all this stuff. So uh, I went down with a colleague, a younger woman, um, Amy Ortiz, uh, and uh, because she speaks Spanish, I don't. So she, you know, she, she and I teamed up and we got a, what they call a fixer. Like if you go into a foreign country, the paper will hire what they call a fixer who, who is a he actually was a former uh, Dominican police officer so he, he he knows all the streets he knows everywhere you go and he's he's armed you know so he's you know, there to protect us are you from the Boston area I am yep grew up here Red Sox fan I, well, I grew up one yeah I grew up one for sure yeah I was uh, that's I lived baseball Red Sox baseball huge Chicago Cubs fan so Theo did for you what uh, he did for us right and I guess a big reason is like one COVID happened. So he was able to just take the year off, not wanting to make this big trade that the Cubs might need. Like uh, the Cubs fans, Chicago might never forgive him if he traded Contreras or Bayern. Uh, so like maybe he just didn't want to have to make a decision at the end. How about Chris Bryant? Are you, are you done with him or would that be a big blow too? I saw that. Uh, the Nationals were interested in him. It yeah. would have been wild if we were able to get like Juan Soto a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Next year, we have Contreras, Rizzo, Bryant, and uh, Schwarber. They're all free agents. Wow. We could have we traded Schwarber when he outplayed his uh, his value in the World Series, you know, when he took yep. that entire completely outplayed his value. And then, like, he's a DH in the AL anyway. Wow. Wow. No, you're right. You're right. Theo jumped ship, right? He's uh now, I, I think it's just easier for him to not take another job like Philadelphia or New York and just say, you know, I'm going to take the year off. And that, like, I, I really think the fact that everybody knows that the Cubs have to make a, a big deal to like re uh, replenish our farm system and everything. Yeah. It's an interesting idea, but like, so I love our core. I think we have one of the best infields in the National League. If you look like Contreras, Rizzo, Baez, Bryant. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, if anybody has to go, I think we can get the most out of Darvish. I think we can replenish our uh, like minor leagues with Darvish. Okay, all right, okay. But I started out as a sports writer, um, 
in my, when I started my career, and then I moved into news. Um, the editors just thought I, I had, you know, they, I should do news. So I did news. Uh, and I went to the Washington for the most of the 90s to cover politics. I was in the Globe's Washington Bureau for like covering the whole Clinton, Clinton administration, you know, the, his, his impeachment trial. So I came back to Boston. I, I've been at the Globe for 33 years. So I did the first 13 years in news. Then in 2000, I came back to Boston and, and amazingly, the Red Sox beat job was open and they, they gave it to me. So um, I, I wasn't even sure I wanted it. It was just like, whoa, this is before like the internet blew up and there were you know all these other competing sites. It was just like the, the Boston Globe beat writer job was like huge, right? So yeah. I was like, I, I'm not ready for this, but I jumped in and- This is before they won? This is before yeah. they won, right. So this is 2000. So, you know, and, uh, and I, you know, so I'd grown up with them, you know, just losing all the time. And, um, you know, it had all that in, in my history. and. So I was there in 2003 when they totally melt down, right? They're, they're like, you know, they're about to clinch the ALCS against the Yankees. They're up, what, five to two in the seventh, you know, and the, the game's clinched, Pedro's in the, and, and great. So, they, so that blew up. I was there yeah. for that. And then once again, and then, uh, but Ortiz was a big part of that. So in 04, of course, that they, they won for the first time in 86 years. And that was a huge thing. And I covered that and, um, it was great. So I, I, after that, I, the sports editor thought that uh, I would, they, they started a new position called um, investigative reporter, sports investigative. They didn't have that. They thought I would be good at it. So in 04, I started uh, being the Globe's investigative sports reporter. And I've been doing that ever since. So like 16 years now. I noticed that was the job title and I was uh, interested to learn on like some of the other, besides this story, this obviously is a huge nationwide story. Yeah. But like I was interested to learn on some of the other investigative reports that you've had to cover and like how you go about doing it. Like investigative reporting seems like an interesting job just because you're able to contact a bunch of people and be able to get a, a lot of quotes uh, to develop one story. Yeah, so it's really like you 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 know you get a tip or something or or you you find something that's interesting and and so you have a sort of a target of your investigation and what you do, what I've done is you, you sort of come from around the circuit, you, you sort of work your way into the, for the contacts investigation. You finally, you don't contact that person you're investigating until the very end. You, you develop all this information to go after them. One of the things I'm most proud of is I, I spent a year in the Boston public schools and you can probably do this in Chicago too, but where you really show what athletics are like in the Boston public schools compared to the to the wealthier suburbs. I mean, just in every way, you know, from your facilities, equipment, um, uh, support, academic support, um, coaching. I mean, it just ended up ended up with people investing millions of dollars to improve the system. And uh, so that I'm, I'm, that's one of the things I'm being pr big proud of because, like, you know, ten years later, it's still making a difference. There's uh, you know, there's more money and academic support for the student athletes. I mean, none of these kids were going to college. Great talents. Right. <clears throat> and they were just getting chewed up by the system and, you know, they'd use them and they'd win state titles and you never see them again. They didn't get the support they needed to go to. They, they, they were division one athletes, D1 college athletes who never made it because nobody cared about them. So elaborate on how you went about. Did you were, were you able to see footage? I noticed in your story you, you saw like a grain videotape and then you yes. said uh, you, you specified as it was a local Samaritan, like that was just at the bar that ended up taking them to the hospital. How'd you go about figuring that 
So that one was my colleague, um, Amy Ortiz. She had gone down to um, a week before I had with another reporter and she came upon this guy who had, it was an amazing story. I can send you her, the, the original one she did too, but I mean, this guy was in the bar. So this guy, he, he owned a, he, he got me a Rolls Royce, right? I mean, he, you know, um, I don't know how he got the money for his role, but whatever. He had been shot, he'd been shot before himself in the stomach. So he knew what it was all about. And so he was in the bar and he, so he, he the incredible story of him, you know, ramming cars to get out of his sparking space with his Rolls Royce and then racing across town like hundred miles an hour to get him to the, to the clinic. So I'd known David since, since, for, so since 2002, right? When he got to the Red Sox and, and um, it was really outgoing, you know, gregarious guy, friendly guy, great, great to be around. We, we had a good relationship. He and I knew each other pretty well. And so when he got, when he got shot, um, my editors, you know, naturally asked me to write about it because I knew him and I do investigative reporting. And so um, that's when we, uh, that's when they asked me to dig in. So um, we, we did go down to the Dominican Republic. That was like the big, um, that's the biggest part of the investigation, I guess, right? So, so confirming you, you went to the Dominican Republic to speak to Ortiz or you spoke to him out there? In so, um, so I'll give you the background. So that, that was kind of the last step was talking to David because he was in the, so after he was shot, he was in the hospital for like, what? You know, three months, I think he was just, in the, they, they rushed him out of there. So. Uh, my job was to get down there and try with Amy and the uh, our fixer was to find out what we could about what happened down there because we knew uh, we knew the police weren't telling us the whole truth. I mean, it, it went from you know first he was like a, a, hit, a hit squad had come after him, then it was no, it wasn't a hit squad, it was a mistaken identity. They're going after somebody else, and um, you know, and then uh, so we had to sort of try to pick through all these pieces and we um, talked to went down and talked to his family, friends. Um, you know, we went to the nightclub he owned down there, formerly owned. Um, we went to the place trying to talk to the guy who, who actually was supposed to be the target of the shooting, but wasn't. He was with him that night. So we went to his auto body shop and um, his buddy was there. And, it, you know, his buddy said that he was in hiding. He just, you know, he was, uh, he was, he was afraid for his life now, too. So, um, but, um, it, you know, it's real sketchy, the whole thing. We went to the national police headquarters. He's, I mean, the police are corrupt down there. There's no question the police are corrupt. And um, so it's hard to get to the truth. I mean, they, they just spin stories like, you know, um, for, for political reasons too, you know, it's, um, uh, Ortiz is a good friend of the president down there. He has been a good friend of the president. So, and, you know, the, the attorney general came and visited him in the, in the clinic as soon as the night he was shot. And, um, and, and so, it's hard to know what to believe. And, and even David says he doesn't believe the, the story. He doesn't believe the mistaken identity thing. Was there any major difficulty in covering the story besides like travel? These are always hard to do because you have reluctant witnesses, right? I mean, people didn't want to talk at the bar. We didn't have David to talk to either at that point. His, you know, PR guy saying, you know, he has no enemies in the Dominican Republic. He's, you know, absolutely nobody would like, wants to kill him or hurt him. And that may not be true, you know? I mean, we may find out that may not be true. You know, with, yeah, he's hanging out with people who have, you know, all these intersections of criminal, you know, activities. And he grew up in a really rough neighborhood where, you know, he, he was dodging gunfire and he saw people stabbed when he was, a, you know, a child. And it's not hard to imagine. He, he might have an enemy here or there. So you've been a baseball supporter for an extremely long time. I really ask who's the best baseball player you've ever seen play. 
Jed Williams. Jed Williams, my man. I mean, I grew up, he was my hero growing up. He was like, you know, he was, I mean, I, I hate when people call athletes heroes, but he was a true hero, right? He was, you know, military, you know, it's, if you win a baseball game, it doesn't make you a hero. But I mean, he was a true hero and, um, and, and the best hitter of all time in my book. I should say the other, other one is Pedro Martinez. I mean, I saw, I saw him every day, you know, in, in the clubhouse every day for four years. Wow. And that, I mean, to be able to see him and the, what he, the way he approaches the game, the way he, the person he is. And um, it was just, I mean, he was unbelievable. Just great player. I think he will make it. I think he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think he, I really do. I really do. And it's a little unusual because he did get linked to that steroid stuff, right? A little bit. Back in 2003, the New York Times, yeah, they, they, they did a, uh, there was a baseline testing thing back in 2003 and it was supposed to all be anonymous, supposed to all be, nobody's supposed to be, find out who, it was sort of like that, the, the beginning of how they would start testing. And so the New York Times um, reported way back then that it was, that, that he tested positive, Manny Ramirez, A-Rod and Sammy Sosa. They didn't tell a lot of other people, I'm sure, tested positive because everybody was using back then, right? Everybody was. But that's not going to hurt him like it hurt Bonds and Clemens. And well, how do you feel about those guys, the steroid guys? They belong like Bonds and Clemens. How do you feel? They belong in the hall? So with the steroid era, I do believe that the MLB Hall of Fame Cooperstown is a museum. It should include the home run king. It should include their stats, but I understand their their reasoning for not putting their plaque on the Hall of Fame. In my opinion, uh, Bonds is the best player I've ever seen in my life. Uh, hey, he had a sure, six, sure. the 600 on base percentage. That it's not even comparable to anybody else, and he hit 73. So it's, oh, one it's, it's unbelievable. I'd see. I, I'd see. I don't think I've ever seen this happen before. They, they would. This happened more than once. They they would walk him with the bases loaded. So right, so because they they would rather walk him walk in a run than let him hit. That was amazing. Uh, there was a game where it worked. They were the team was up, maybe two runs or three runs. The bases are loaded. They end up walking Bonds surrender the one the the run, and then the guy flew out. Yeah, yes, so I came to with Bonds. So I I, I I have a Hall of Fame vote, and I've voted for like I don't know maybe almost ten years now. And um, Writers Association. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, because I, because I, I, you know, covered the team for five years and, and I, and I've been, as long as you continue writing about baseball in some way, you're still eligible to vote. So um, I didn't vote for Bonds and Clemens for uh, like eight years. And then last year I voted for them basically to honor, there, there was another, the, we had a baseball columnist last year who died suddenly. Uh, it, just, it was at spring training. He went to spring training where they just keeled over and died 62 years old. Now, you know, Really nice guy, and he always voted for them. He thought those guys belonged in the hall, um, and you know, I, I kind of did it to honor him. But I'm I'm going to do it again. I'm gonna, so th this is their. I think they have one more year of or just their last year of eligibility. So I have my own ballot that I like. I do yeah. this every year. I promise you, sir. Like to be honest, you have my end goal. I love the Baseball Writers Association. Like I, I forward like every single time that uh, that like the Hall of Fame goes down, the MVP votes and everything. I look into every single like who. who writing for who yeah, yeah. I'm going to figure out who's the person that said Jeter is not a first ballot that's yeah. not real we haven't heard that yet have we we don't that's know not real. I need I need yes. his name yeah sure no I that's I've forgotten all about that that's right yeah that's right I, well, I need to sit down and have a chat with him what is your yeah. reason saying that a five-time World Series 
champion. There's not a first ballot. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I could write a column about that. Like every, every vote should be public. You know, we should all have to say who we vote for, which, which I do, which most writers do, I think, say who they voted for. In my opinion, yeah, Schilling, for sure. I'm a center fielder myself. I love the way Andrew Jones and Torrey Hunter played. I understand that Torrey Hunter is not a first ballot, but I do think that they're both Hall of Famers and should get in. Andrew Jones, uh, yeah. Andrew, Andrew Jones. Or 400 homers. I loved watching him. He was a great defensive fielder, too, man. And 400 yeah. homers and gold gloves. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, all right. I haven't voted for him yet, so maybe I should think about that. To me, that's sort of sacred. You know, you've got to be like – you've got to be one of the – you know, multiple time understood. Three players that I think should make it, yeah, that, but that they won't. Clemens, Bond, uh, I'll say four. Clemens, Bonds, Sheffield, and Ramirez. They they should make it. Right. Sheffield, 500. Manny has 500. Bonds is the home run king. I watched Manny play. Day, I, I was with him for four years. I watched him. The best right-handed hitter I think I've ever seen. I mean, it's, you know, Ted was the best left-hander. Manny might be the best right. Not just for power. I, I mean, average and just incredible. Hitter. You think the nose uh, chances are done? I think he's toast. I mean, it's like people. people I think people, the top five second baseman that has ever played the game will be like. Yeah. Game. So maybe it, maybe it, maybe it'll maybe people just say let's you know let's just put everybody in who belongs there. And so my whole life, like I've been able to see like Boston and the Cubs. You said like when you were going to Boston was like terrible. My whole life, Boston and the Cubs like have been good teams. So like I haven't been able to like do that like interesting right 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 losing season right right i'm glad they won it i'm glad they won it the cubs best game i've ever seen in my life (laughs) i bet bet. were you you there uh i I went to the ring ceremony i had to i was a freshman in college when they uh won promise you aroldis chapman wins world series mvp if madden doesn't put him in in that eighth inning and he gives up that bomb if Madden just leaves him for the ninth, he didn't trust anybody else in our, in our bullpen. He threw him in the in game five. He threw him for three innings in game six and then threw him in the eighth inning in game seven. He gives up the homer to David. I get in my car. I'm a big radio guy. I love listening to Cubs yeah, radio. Yeah. So I left the school and I was like, I will never watch another Cubs game again. If they lose. <laughs> Luckily for me, the rain delay happened. So like I drive off, you know, zoom out of the campus and everything. So upset. Like uh, I drove to the gym. I drove to the gym and I hear the rain delays happening. So I'm just hearing them like, you know, they're going into the 10th inning. The Cubs are up. They got out of the ninth. And I'm like, all right, we're there. I'm not going to watch that game, but I'm going to listen to this game. Wow. I hear – I'm in my car. I hear Schwarber gets the hit. I'm pumping like this all in my car. Yeah. Next thing I know, like, Alvaro Morgan's second. All I hear is two strikes and Ben Zobers hit down the third baseline. I remember, like, honking my horn. Like, <laughs> oh, I'll never get a feeling like that again, like that we had put the lead. And then I, I was a huge Carl Edwards Jr. fan, so, like – he ended up throwing in the 10th inning. He could have left him in. We, we had it anyway. Baez hit a home run in that. Chapman should have been the first closer to win World Series MVP. Blows the game. And now he, now that's all he can do. Now that's all he knows how to do. <laughs> you should have gone to the Hall of Fame that summer after they, uh, that winter after they won. See all this stuff. But it was incredible getting to know you and then uh, getting to understand how you went about covering the story, went about learning 
the background of this information and then talking to Ortiz. Uh, it was a pleasure uh, to have you today. I would love to be able to talk again and read more of your inner city Boston writings as well. Sure, sure. I'll send some stuff along. And if you want to follow up, just, you know, hit me up with anything. Okay. Uh, for sure. Thank you so All much. Right. All right. Well, best of luck. I'm going to follow yeah. your career. All right. Thank you so much. Go Cubs. Take care. All right.